Now, today we're going to start talking about religion and for us to understand what we're talking about, because most of the time we hear the word religion and we think positive stuff, all right? So we say, I'm religious, or this family member was a very religious person, and we think of that as a, as a good thing, but I, I think we're misunderstanding what religion is. You see, religion is, is humanity trying to fix God's mistake. All right? Because what religion does is religion takes what God made perfectly and adds man-made rules and regulations to it. Okay? So I came up with a definition of religion, and this is all me, and so it has the potential to be wrong. Don't write any books based on this definition or anything. All right? But here's the definition that I came up with. Religion is humanity's effort to bring order and organization to God's already perfect plan. Religion is humanity's effort to bring order and organization to God's already perfect plan. You see, it's interesting, I expected in the survey for guilt to be number one. I didn't expect hypocrisy. But it was this idea that religious people have things that they suggest and, and demand that we live by, but yet they don't do it. And so it's this hypocrisy thing that, that takes the lead, and we will actually talk about that in detail next week. But, but, but what is it about religion that creates such a problem? What is it that religion makes us deviate from what God intended? And so we're going to start today by talking about the first problem of religion, and it's man-made rules, human-made rules. So let me tell you a quick history lesson. I don't mean to bore you to tears, but, but hang in there with me. This is important stuff. For the first 300 years almost of Christianity, Christianity was illegal. They met in homes. They met underground, literally underground. They, they had to hide out, and if the authorities found out that they were followers of Jesus, one of several things would happen. They would be arrested, they would be beaten, or eventually they would be thrown to the lions. They would be killed, and Christianity was illegal. Well, in 311 AD, something significant happened, and it was called the Edict of Toleration. And for the first time, Christianity was still legal, illegal, but you could no longer punish someone for being Christian. All right, in 311 A.D. Well, two years later, Constantine, as emperor, had the Edict of Milan, which where he declared for the first time Christianity was legal. Well, what happened was, is because Constantine apparently had a vision and he became a follower of Jesus, everybody in the Roman Empire decided, well, being Christian is a good idea because the emperor is doing that. And so people by the thousands and thousands and thousands became Christian. And over the next thousand years, what the church did is the church became very religious. They built huge, huge buildings and sanctuaries and cathedrals in honor of God. And they did everything they could to assimilate all of these people that were not Christian as they came into the church, and the church became about the church instead of about Jesus. See, the first 300 years, Jesus was what it was all about, but after that, it became really more about the church, and religion blossomed, and it created a mess. Well, in the first century, not long after Christianity started, there was a very similar problem, and in the book of Galatians, the letter in Galatians, Paul addresses this problem directly. 
So I want to ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1167. And just for background, Paul was dealing with a group called the Judaizers. He and Barnabas, when they went and established the churches on the first missionary journey, they established the churches that in the church were Jews and Christians together. And over time, what happened, for some reason, the Jewish believers decided that everybody in the church should act Jewish. So I can't imagine the conversations, but people would say, oh, you're not celebrating Yom Kippur. That's the most holy day on our calendar. You should be celebrating that. You're not living in a in a shack during the, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Why are you not doing that? You're not celebrating Passover the way that we say, why are you not doing that? You're eating pork, for goodness sakes. Why are you doing that? That goes against. And so all of a sudden, the Judaizers in the church were trying to convince and were convincing the non-Jews that they needed to be Jewish, to be fully alive in Christ. So Paul, in his letter to the, to the region of Galatia, to the churches there, he was really angry, and we'll see as we go through the weeks, uh, he was really ticked off. Um, and so Galatians 1, 6 through 10, here's what he said to start off this letter. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I am, now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I want us to look at three words in this passage, and uh, these three words will help us understand everything that's going on. The first is the word gospel. The gospel literally translated means good news, right? And so Paul says, what happened that you left the good news and pursued a different good news? In fact, it's not even good news. What happened to you? Who led you astray? In fact, we'll see in chapter 3, he calls them, you foolish Galatians. What's wrong with you? You're not pursuing the good news. You're not living through the good news now. You have a bad news. Well, in verse 7 then, he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. The word throwing into confusion, that phrase, it means literally to stir the water. It means to disturb the calm and the peace in the water. I was kayaking yesterday, and it was a little windy, but I found a cove that was like glass. It was awesome. So I put my feet up on the kayak. I put a handful of, of uh, unshelled uh, sunflower seeds in my mouth, put my hands behind my head, and just enjoyed the creation that God had made until I heard it, a boat motor. And this big boat went by and created a wake, and my tranquil, peaceful moment was ruined by fush, fush, fush. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that, but that's what it's like. And that's what Paul said. And you had, a, you had a clear, smooth understanding of everything, and someone has come in, and they have created a wake, and they have messed up your understanding. 
Why did you let him do that? Well, the other word then is pervert. The end of verse 7, he says, uh, and they've thrown you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert means to twist or to change. And so what Paul said is, is they've taken the gospel and they've twisted it or they've changed it. They've made it different. And you have to understand, and you, Paul's language in the Greek is very, very terse. He says, they should be cursed for having done that. If anybody teaches anything different than what we taught you, even if it's me or an angel in heaven, they should be cursed. He was very, very angry and very upset. He was upset by the people who would do that, and he was upset that the Galatians would follow that teaching. So, now all of that to say, we need to understand this reality in our world today, and this is what religion has done to us, okay? This changing of the water, this stirring the water, and this twisting of the truth is so real today, just like it was in Paul's time. There is a twisting of the truth and there is a, a disturbing of the gospel, of the good news, that is wrong and it's religion's fault. And it happens in two places. It happens outside the church and it happens inside the church. You see, outside the church, we expect people to teach something false. And I, I imagine in Paul's time, I imagine at the churches of Galatia, there in the synagogues, those Jewish people who were not followers of Jesus, they still had Jewish friends who were now followers of Jesus, and I'm sure they would eat together and they would say, what are you doing? You're messing the whole thing up. You're messing up the whole Judaism thing. You need to follow all of the rules and all the laws. And I'm sure that outside of the faith, outside of the community of faith, there were Jewish people saying, you're getting this wrong. We need to understand, in our day and time, in our culture, there is a twisting of the truth that is devastating. This is kind of what it looks like. It kind of follows the, law, the, the lines of Hindu karma. Hindu karma teaches that you live this life doing as much good as you possibly can, and when you die, something good's going to happen after death. We hear that message over and over and over again, that if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be right with God, you just do enough good. You help enough people. You stand up against injustice. You do all of these nice things for people, and you, you stand up for what is right. And then when it's all done, we stand before God, and the scorecard will say God has to let us in. It's the twisting of the truth. And honestly, it sounds nice. It sounds great. You know, people just try hard. They just do enough good, then it'll work out. It sounds awesome. It sounds so incredibly politically correct. But see, that's not the gospel. The gospel teaches us, the good news teaches us, that there's no way we could ever be good enough. And the only way to be right with God, the only way to experience eternity in heaven is because of what God has done not because of what we have done. On campus, I have these conversations regularly, and, and, and students will make up their own religions all the time. They will take things from different religions they like and pull them together, but it always comes back to this karma idea. If I'm just good enough, God will let me in. 
And the question I always ask them is this, how do you know when you've done enough good? How do you know when you've gotten there? How do you know when you've helped enough people? How do you know when you've given away enough money? How do you know, how do you know, how do you know? Whose scorecard are you using? And I tell them, eventually you're gonna get miserable at doing good because the scorecard's just not big enough. And I tell you, that's no gospel at all. That's not good news. Because that teaches it's all about what I can do. And we'd like it that way, but that's not the gospel. But see, if that wasn't bad enough, and we expect people outside of the church to, to teach those kinds of things, what we're finding is now is that the church is twisting the gospel too. I cannot tell you how many papers I have read from Christian students and how many conversations I've had with Christian students that say this, and they hear it in church all of the time, the way you get to heaven is you ask Jesus into your heart and live a good life. And then you're in. You ask Jesus in your heart, and the equation would be you ask Jesus in your heart plus live a good life, and then salvation comes. That's a twisting of the truth. You see, that's what the Judaizers were saying to the young church. They were saying, ask Jesus into your heart and live like a Jew, and then everything will be right. But that's not how it works. You see, the gospel is very clear. The good news is very clear that God did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. See, what happens is we become followers of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. And he changes us. I was discipling a young man some time ago, and uh, we were meeting on a regular basis, and, and we were talking about faith, and, and one week we talked about listening to God and what it means to, to listen to God. And the next time we met, we were praying as we were finishing up, and I asked him how the listening to God was going, and he said, would you pray for me? I said, of course, what do I need to pray about? Would you pray that I'll stop using pot? I said, of course I'll pray for that. But what made you come to that conclusion? He said, I, I don't really know. But something inside of me said, I got to stop this. Never once did I tell him he needed to stop. Never once did I put my finger in his face, you need to quit this. But at one point, the Holy Spirit got, grabbed hold of his throat and said, this has to end. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit leading you. Say yes when he leads. You see, somehow we've become churchyizers instead of Judaizers. And what we've done is we've said, okay, ask Jesus into your heart, then live like me. Be just like me. Dress the way I dress. Talk the way I talk. Become like me. Set aside who God made you to be and become like me because that is the answer. You want to end up looking just like us. And in the process, we kill all of God's creativity. See, religion says Jesus isn't enough. The gospel says he's more than enough. And so we have to be very, very careful as we go through this journey to understand that God made the gospel 
perfectly. And it's not ours to add to it. And when we do, it becomes religion. So we made a chart to kind of help us understand this and how this works and the difference between uh, the gospel and, and, uh, and religion. So religion says, first of all, I think I can. Religion says, I think I can be good enough to get where I want to go when this life is through. It says, I've got it within me to pull this off. I can be good enough. I can accomplish enough. I can make it happen and may be so good that God says, ah, I've got to let this one in. That's what religion says. The gospel says, I know I can't. I know I can't. And I know that the only way that I can be right with God is to trust what God, could never, what, what God did for me that I could never do for myself. I know I can't. And so I trust him. Religion says, live like us. Come follow Jesus so you can be just like me. Come follow Jesus so your life can be just like mine. The gospel says, follow Jesus as you embrace your uniqueness. See, God went to a lot of trouble to make you just like you. And he didn't make you like you so you'll be like somebody else. The gospel says, follow Jesus and embrace who he made you to be. It's a much more beautiful picture. Religion says, it's us versus the world. If you're not one of us, if you don't believe what we believe, if you're not a part of who we are, then you must be the enemy. You must be the bad guy. You're at war with us because you're not us. The gospel says, we're here for the world. We're no better than the world, but we have what the world needs. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy, right? The enemy's much bigger than that. People are not the enemy. Religion says we need to focus on God's judgment because in the end, when it's all done, God will get it right and all those people who are against us will pay the price and it's gonna be awesome. Well, let me tell you, if you're excited about judgment day, you don't understand it. If you're excited about Judgment Day, you don't understand it. Okay? Because what we really want is what the gospel teaches, a focus on God's mercy. We stand before God someday, we don't want God to be just. Because if you and I get what we deserve, we're in trouble. What we want is God to be merciful. And the gospel says you can't, but I did it for you. It's awesome news. All right? Religion says <clears throat> that we should compare ourselves to other people. And so I can always feel better about who I am and what I'm doing because I'm better than person A or person B. And we can always find that person that we stand out from and feel good about ourselves. The gospel says we should compare ourselves to Jesus. And here's what I've learned about when I compare myself to Jesus. I'm a big project. I got a long way to go. And if I'm focused comparing myself to Jesus, it's full-time work for me. I don't have to make sure that I'm better than you. Because none of us will be like him completely. All right. I think I have one more. Do I have one more? Is that it? Ah, 
Religion says to follow the law and tradition, that make up rules and follow the rules so you can feel better about yourself, but eventually it is so frustrating where the gospel says, follow two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of rules. I'm not going to set it up so that you have to do A, B, C, and D. Here's what I want you to do. If you do these two things, you've got it. Love God with every part of who you are and love other people. Do those two things. That's what the gospel teaches. See, the gospel is great news. It's great news. It sets us free from religion. The gospel brings peace. Religion brings anxiety. So I want to ask you today, under which one are you? Are you under the gospel? Or religion? Let's pray.